0: If you're new visiting, just want to say super grateful that you're here. Uh, thankful you got to join us this morning. Uh, we're walking through the book of James. Um, normally what we do is a, a faith family is just take a book of the Bible and just walk through it, plow through it, uh, verse by verse, line by line, so we can know all that God might want to say. Uh, we're not a church that likes to uh, just kind of skip around and just pull texts out uh, of random, but kind of look at, okay, what's the, what's the line of thoughts? We also know how to see our Bibles, know what God is really saying uh, with everything around it. And so um, the Apostle Paul said he didn't want to uh, shrink back from preaching the full counsel of God, so that's our hope, is that no one would be, would be misled, uh, that you would have the full counsel of God laid before you. Um, so that's, that's our hope, is we're in James, who is a writer who is anything but uh, soft, okay? So uh, if this is your first time stepping into just Christianity, the things of God, James is brutally honest, and I want to tell you, like I've been saying the past number of weeks, he's after our joy. He's not uh, laying these commands before us. So we might be robbed from anything. He actually wants us to walk in fullness of life, and, and I've said that um, God calls us into this joy, into this life, and I've said that uh, everyone's after joy. So no matter who you are, you're looking for it somewhere. So um, I don't know what place or whether it's in your career, whether it's in your family, whether it's in relationships, possessions, uh, your own esteem. I don't know where you're trying to find it, but everybody's after joy in some way, shape, or form. And God shows us he primarily calls us into joy, first in justification, making us righteous before God who's holy, perfect, and without sin. And he sends his son to take the full weight wrath of God for us in our stead as our substitute. And he rises and gifts us his Holy Spirit to be able to walk in this newness of life. And we're transformed by what he's done. So that's the first step in calling us into joy. The second step is uh, through sanctification, which is this process. You and I right now in this uh, kind of two-dimensional sphere where we're kind of this already not yet, we're longing for glory. One day we'll be fully glorified, fully made perfect, but um, there's a process of him uh, transforming us from one shade of glory to the next, and that happens through our obedience. So uh, listen, I keep saying, if you're, you're trying to figure out or understand obedience, works, faith, Christianity, it sets itself apart from every belief system and we're saying um, unless justification has occurred in your life, you're nowhere ever going to be on the path to sanctification. So don't think that James is now laying before you how you get on the pathway to this obedience that somehow changes you. You've been transformed by this God, this good father of lights, he says, and that causes this obedience from our hearts. And he's going to show us that um, he hopes our faith is a real faith because um, James is after knowing that there is true conversion. He's after knowing that your joy is real, your joy is full. So you're going to see his, his plea here, his burden for uh, us as pastors, for you all, and saints for one another, but also his, his plea towards these churches in Jerusalem he's running to going, hey, uh, listen, you guys have been professing faith in Jesus Christ, but it's a faith that hasn't changed your life. Um, and we want to see that. You, you don't just admire God in the face of Jesus Christ. We want you to experience God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so um, that's what he is saying. That's what he's been writing. And listen, he is going to continue to turn up the heat, okay? Um, just some of you guys, like last week, man, I was sweating, needed a towel. Uh, he's just been brutal, but but he's been leading you into life. He's been freeing you from sin. We're praising God for that, but no, he's, he's not going to back down now, okay? He's not a guy that kind of throws a few punches, and then says, okay, cool, grab a breath. He just keeps swinging, okay? Hits with a left hook when you're looking right okay so uh, he's doing it because he loves us he's doing it because God is after something much more profound and much more deep and so um, let me just share this as we get in Um, number one a lot of you guys have been uh, walking in that study guide that we provided. I'm thrilled about that. And the reason that is so good and necessary is um, sermons are not meant to give you every last morsel in the text, right? We're just trying to cause you to see and behold something bigger than yourself. And want you to get an overarching understanding of the text. But that study guide allows you to kind of dig in where we haven't dug in and seek some of those answers and ask good questions that bubble up in your own study. So I uh, just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Um, that's why that study is available and I'm thrilled that it's bearing fruit. Um, the other thing I wanted to say as we read this text this morning is um, if, if you lived or grew up in a home with a really good dad, okay, um, not all of us came from good homes with good fathers, even good mothers, but if you grew up in a home with a, with a good father, you knew that all of his warnings were really just joyful invitations, Right? So, so when he laid rules down in the house, when he told you, you do and not do, you knew that those were things that he wanted you to be safe, wanted you to be strong, wanted you to be protected. You knew that that good father was not saying those things out of spite. He wasn't saying it in a punitive way. He was saying it in a formative way. Um, and that's how you have to read the letter of James. It's how you have to see the text that is before us. Because even though it is hard, even though there are warnings, it's invitations into joy. Uh, It's invitations into something better than what you're already experiencing. And um, if you're just, and this is why for some of you, um, maybe you've been attending church services your entire life and you see hardly any transformation in your life. Because you're so caught up in following the rules of faith and you've never been stunned by the creator of faith. Like you've never actually looked at him and seen his glory and seen his beauty and seen his purity and seen his holiness, that that your whole life is just, I thought Christianity was this do's and don'ts, follow this list, then somehow I'll be changed. I might be tweaked. I might be better. Man, we see in the Bible, right, if you're reading the same Bible I am, that you are literally made new. Old man gone, new man come. You were dead. You're now alive. Those are crazy words. That's crazy language. So that gives us real joy to know that this gospel is not after just modifying something in us, it's after literally ripping out the old man and replacing it with the new man, heart, mind, and belief. So um, here's what I want to say that will lead us into the text, and I actually want to pray for the Spirit's help because nothing will happen uh, if we don't ask him for help. Uh, but here's what I want us to get. Um, moral instruction, apart from a vision of beauty, will only produce a whitewashed, nominal, begrudging, exhaustive, moral, rebelling life. Okay? All right, I know that was a lot. Let me say it again. All right, Moral instruction alone. Okay, if, you just, if you're just taught morality, if you're just taught rules, if you're just taught do's and don'ts and you don't have a vision of beauty before you, there's not something catching your emotions and your, and your eyes and your taste and your, your, all of this that God has made us to see in him. If that's you, if, that's, if it's only moral instruction aside from this vision of beauty then it will only produce in us whitewashed tombs that have white-knuckled, aggressive, exhaustive, moral rebellion. Let's ask God that we wouldn't be that. Father, let's not be people who simply hear moral instruction but are transformed by information, that knowledge does not puff up, but it literally builds us up from the inside out. Father, would you even right now um, cause your spirit to fall and enter into the spaces that it needs to enter, that it would open our eyes to things that we did not see before, that it would reveal uh, beauties of your word that we did not see before. We realize that there is a God that is at work even now in helping us hear the word. So would you be merciful where you need to be merciful? Would you challenge us? where We need to be challenged, Lord. Would you graciously push us and prod us where we need to be pushed and prodded for your glory and our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James 1, verse 19. Here's what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, let's close in prayer right? I mean, just the text alone, right? You, you woke up, showed up, entered into church. You're, you're coming in going, okay, look, I'm looking for something encouraging. it has got to warm me up. Uh, here's what James says. Um, you're, you're really angry because uh, you talk a lot. Don't shut up. You need to listen more, and uh, that doesn't produce righteousness that, that God wants for you. So, so here's what you have to understand. So, we're, This is the importance of, in my opinion, following in the line of the text. James still has not left his thought. He still has not left trials and hardship and suffering and he still has not left that you were made new by this word of truth. You were made a first fruit of his creation. That we saw that last week. If you didn't hear that, you need to go hear that because that all ushers us in to the text this morning. So when he says here, when James says, Know this, he's really saying, Take note of this. And he's actually pointing back to what he just said in verse 18. He hasn't moved on. He's not saying, take note of what I'm about to say. He's saying, know this, what he just said, and how that connects to what he's going to say. So so here's basically what uh, James is saying to us. If you were here last week, he's trying to grab your attention and go, remember this good father of lights. Remember how generous he is. Remember how kind he is. Remember how he has made you a first fruit of his creation. He's caused you to come forth by the word of truth. Remember that about this God? Remember how you're loved by this God? He's basically telling us, don't move on yet. Because see, everything else stems from this. Everything else. Because here's the danger. Here's what James is about to do. He's about to move on to do's and don'ts. And he knows if you just move on to do's and don'ts, which is what sometimes our hearts kind of want, we're just gonna aggressively move on to do's and don'ts, and you miss, hold on, don't forget where this is stemming from. Don't forget where this obedience is coming from. This is a good God. He never changes. His love never wanes for you. He is aggressive. He's the initiator. He's the causer of your faith. He made you a first fruit. Okay, now we can look at these things in an appropriate place. Now we see that they're invitations and not God just trying to make us something. He's already made you something and he wants you to live like you already are. So the rest of this letter stems from this going, live like you already are. You're a first fruit of his creation. You're loved by God. You're treasured. You've been shown scandalous grace. Okay, now this is the righteousness that God desires of you. This is actually what's in you. This is what should be producing itself in you. So important. I could plead with you, always start there. Do not start with the morality. Start with the vision of beauty of God, of what he has done, what you have seen in his great work in the gospel on your behalf. So this is what he's doing. This is what he's saying. He pursued you in love, his grace, his generosity. This is the difference between Christianity and false religions. Um, God's love is sure, solely based off of his covenant for you and towards you. So so he's not a God who says, imagine if I came to Jackson, my son, and said, hey, uh, buddy, I'll love you, but, but first, let me, let me see how you do today. L-l-l- let me see how you responded in obedience. Let me see how your actions are. And then I'll let you know if my reciprocated love can come. Right? God's not like that. Praise God, He's not like that. that God is so otherworldly, so unlike us, that he would say, okay, no, my love is sure already based upon Jesus. Look at the wrath-absorbing cross of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, That's the demonstration of my love, demonstration of my pursuit, demonstration of me loving you, singing over you, causing you to be one of my own. Okay, so stare at that and then let that move you now towards what I'm about to tell you and show you. That's where he wants us to start. This changes our obedience and this is why James will say this. So then he says, the fruit of your life doesn't seem to evidence that you're a first fruit. Well, you say you're a first fruit. You say that this has happened to you. You say you've been, you've been born again, that you've made a profession. That, and he goes, and it doesn't seem like you act like that. He says, you talk a lot and don't listen. You become angry, and that doesn't produce the righteousness of God. God is not like you and I. He's slow to anger. We're quick to anger. You're not looking like God. It's not producing this righteousness of God. And, and when James talks about anger, listen, he's not simply talking about these fits of rage. Like when you and I think about an angry person, right, we all have a category in our heads, right? Just, just angry, screaming, throwing things, breaking glass. Okay, listen, um, for some of us, we are totally enslaved to anger. And for some of us, it comes out violently. And some of us, it comes out very passively. Uh, but in both of us, there is stewing in our hearts. There's rage in our hearts. There is anger in our hearts. So here's what he's after. He's talking about not these just fits of rage. He's talking about the deep-seated fears, entitlements, and pride that cause the outbursts of anger. He's talking about where, the, where it's coming from. He's not just talking about this outward action. He's talking about there's something going on in your heart, right, that, that, that's wrong, that's causing you to be angry and James seems to show us that it's our entitlement. He's showing us this area. Remember, he's the younger brother of Jesus. He heard Jesus himself likely say, uh, you know, people come along and say, well, don't murder anybody, but you hate in your heart. It's the same thing James is doing. There's something deep down in there that's causing you to have anger. Now, he's tying it to the word in verse 18 that brought you forth, okay? This is so important he's going the word of truth right brought you forth okay now what's happening is there's anger because you don't like what the word of truth is saying to you you're angry because you're busy talking over god not listening to him this is why james is simply saying in burden county terms it would do us some real good just to shut up really i mean i mean think about man if i would just shut up in my home how many less arguments i get in with my wife kristen And I just let her talk, and I could listen to her and hear what she's saying and hear her heart. He's actually getting at this very thing. Proverbs says, even a fool who closes his mouth is wise. Wow. Some of you guys didn't get it right over your head. Even a fool who closes his mouth is actually really wise. So there's hope for you fools. Just close your mouth, and you'll already be on a trajectory of wisdom. Simple text. Love the Bible. He's talking about this word of truth that brought us new life. See, that's why I love Sunday mornings. Because a preacher gets to get up, and everybody is quiet and gets to just hear what God has to say. Right? I mean, that's the beauty, in my opinion, of preaching. I love going somewhere where, okay, I'm, I can't interject. I mean, you could get thrown out, but, but you, you, you could interject. You could talk or whatever, but you just get to listen. You just get to sit, and you can't make judgments. It's not like in our Bible study time where we read a verse and go, oh, God, I don't like that about you, and we speak over him and say what he should really do. He goes, no, you're, you're quick to listen. You're eager to hear this word of truth. It's just returning back to the very thing that caused you new birth. That's what he's saying here. You're quick to listen. You're quick to hear this. He's saying we put the word of God on trial like Satan and judge it and tell God what he can and cannot do that doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to the righteousness that God desires. I know many of us are enslaved to this anger. And according to James, he'll say it's because we don't always like what God has to say. I mean, that's just, that's honest, Right? I think we could all agree with that at times. Many times our anger is driven by us believing we are owed something God is not giving us. Or it's by us having a wrong understanding of God. Right? So we approach the scriptures. And he's saying this word of truth that made you a first fruit, verse 18, and caused you to be born again. This good father that all of a sudden you're already forgetting who he is. You're already forgetting what has been done. You're already creeping back into wanting be, to be the creator and not the created being. And this is where, man, as we read, we have to have a high view of God. I mean, this is what he's really getting at. He's saying, man, your, your thoughts are all out of whack. Really, um, we are, have got ourselves to a place where we grow in anger because we actually think we've been put on this earth to judge him. So, so, so God makes us so that we can judge him. Right? So we'll look around and be like, okay, if you're so loving, how come so many people are dying of AIDS? How come there's so many people starving? How many people and we think at the end of all times we're gonna stand before God, right? Holy, righteous, all creator God, and go, why weren't you so loving? Why didn't you do something about that? And we forget that no, he's gonna judge you and I, and he's gonna say, if you were so loving, why didn't you do something about it? We're so caught up in this this view of God, we start saying silly things. We start being totally ridiculous because we think we were put on this earth to put God on the dock and tell him how the world should operate. And he's going, no, that's just going to produce anger and not the righteousness of God. Slow to speak. Man, listen to what he said. Be reminded of what I just admonished you and that he's a good father of heavenly lights. He doesn't change He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he saves you, he saves you forever. If he loves you, he loves you forever. If his mercy is towards you, it's always for you. He's not like a father that you see. How do you approach his word? That's what James is asking. Are you quick to listen? Are you quick to become angry? Are you quick to talk a lot over him and his judgments? That's why he'll connect with Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He goes, man, okay, if you're going to listen and hear this word that caused you to be made as a first fruit of his creation, we talked about that last week, just insane. That, that Jesus is a first fruit, <laughs> that God, it, that's his most prized son, and that he makes us his most prized sons and daughters through Jesus. Another sermon. James says, if you're going to listen and hear this word then, you need to get your heart right. you got to change your clothes. you got to get the dirt off. And this is just confession. This is just, as we come to the word of truth, want to, you'll see two things, forsaking sin and receiving humbly the implanted word. Okay? So we come before him going, man, Lord, forgive me. I'm, I'm sinful. I, I've forgotten you're good. I've forgotten sin is serious. I've forgotten you're the judge. I've forgotten that I'm just the created. I've forgotten that, that you know what's best for me, that I can trust you, that this trial is creating depth. It's not to harm me. You're just confessing those things. You're acknowledging the filth, the, just the, the arrogance in your heart. And you're going, okay, now, now I want to receive what you have to say with meekness, with humility. He's all about how you approach this word. Look, he says, by you and I actually coming to God saying, I actually need you, that's called humility, meekness. But as going, I, no, I actually need this book. I actually don't know how the universe operates. I actually don't know what's right and wrong. I actually don't know. My heart is so, the proclivities of my heart are so erroneous and so nuts, so desperately wicked. I don't even know what's going on inside. I need something else to help me understand the pathway to life. So I need this, I need to receive this implanted word that he says is saving your souls. Like, this is a matter of life and death. This isn't a matter of, like, oh, get some cute teachings that I can learn for this week. This is literally a matter of life and death. The things that you're reading are either producing in you, bringing forth, implanted word like a a flower. It's budding. It's creating. It's coming forth. God is after your soul being precious and savored and made beautiful, right? This is an invitation. He's saying, my love is good. My word is good. These are gifts, This changes the way you see this, not as do's and don'ts, but invitations into joy because you have a vision of beauty and not just moral instruction. He's going, no, no, I want you to flourish. You're my kids. I want you to receive this implanted word, but man, there's filthiness and wickedness in your heart. And you got to confess that and praise God he's faithful to forgive that. And then let's walk together. See, there's this forsaking and receiving. This is so important. This is what we talked about last week. Temptation, right? It's not just you running away from temptation. right? It's you running away from temptation, running towards someone. Okay. Same thing, implanted word. You're forsaking sin, but you're receiving something else. You're not just forsaking sin, trying to be a sin manager. That's exhaustive. That's awful. Anyone of you who's been there, you know how tiresome that is. He says, no, you want to now receive something. And what is it that we receive he says, "The word of truth, which is what? The gospel. Look at what Colossians 1:5 says, "Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel." Wow. See, see, so many of us, you'll see in James this constant coming back to the very thing that gave you new birth, constantly coming back to the very thing that saved you so it allows this apparent laundry list of to-dos and don'ts not be something that creates morality in you, not something that creates new life in you, but is the reality of the very thing that caused you to be made new in the first place. And here he's going, man, this gospel is the word of truth. So many of us say, hey, this great gospel that God saves you, reconciles you, gives you his righteousness, takes your sin in your place. You were hell bound. You had no idea what was right and wrong. We were depraved in mind, heart, spirit. And he actually comes and rescues us from our own rebellion, in our rebellion. Not when you started turning to him. Not when you started wanting him. He said, in your sin, I'm gonna go after you. I'm gonna pester you. I'm gonna woo you and call you to myself with my grace and love in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that very thing is going to continue to nourish you. See, so many say, oh, I've heard that good, great, glorious gospel. Okay, can I move on to the, the next thing now? And James will say, hold on a second. Don't go anywhere. That implanted word, that gospel, you keep coming back to that. You keep receiving that. You keep hearing about that every single day till you die. Dude, the minute this church veers off of that path, the minute this church goes on to something else, I'm telling you, close the doors, we're damned to destruction. You, you've got to keep having this at the front and center, this, this amazing work of Christ crucified, that he comes, he dies, he lived, he was obedient, he was righteous, we were none of those things, and our life becomes the life that he gives to us through his work. And then we get to celebrate that and walk in glad obedience and love righteousness because now we're made new by something that we did not do for ourselves, something he did for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so here is what James just did. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. He just took anger, the words, the heart. And what he didn't do, and it's okay to do this. They're not bad or sinful. He didn't say, okay, here's some techniques to help your anger in a moment. Could have. Those things are right and helpful in its proper place. I'm not saying save the email. Okay, I I didn't say that. I'm just saying look at what James did. Look at what James did. He went straight to the heart of the problem, apparently, which is submission to the gospel. Your anger, the issue, is your submission to the gospel. That's what he's doing. You're believing things that aren't true. You're telling God he's something that he's not. You have forgotten something. You're believing God is not good, that he is not generous, that sin is not serious, that he is not a judge, that hell is not real, that judgment is not coming. You've started believing things that are... True, but you're saying are not true, and that's causing in you anger because you want to tell God how He should do things, and you've forgotten that you're the created. That's fundamentally where anger starts. I'm owed something, God's not doing it, and therefore I have a right to be angry. And you could see this anywhere. You could see this in your job, home life, marriage, kids. I deserve kids that are better behaved. That's your fault. It's not God's fault. Well, remember last week, James said, right, that, that's, the, that's the angst of parenting. There's some things out of our control. And sometimes we allow anger to seep into our hearts because we think somehow that that's, no, then God's saying, well, that's a trial. It's for your sanctification. Praise God. Right? Um, you're seeing where this comes from. It says you're busy speaking over his word, telling him what you think, and that's not producing the righteousness that God has for you. You're not receiving the implanted word. You're you're trying to forsake your sin, but you're not receiving the truth. You're not submitting to it. So we need to receive this implanted word. James continually goes back to this idea of vision and beauty. Look at 1 Peter 2. It's almost the exact same as this text. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. It's awesome. Peter's saying the same thing. Um, This very thing that gave you birth, right, the word, you keep coming back to it. That word of truth, he says, made you a first fruit of his creation. And he says, hey, continue to come back to that word. Okay, in the same way, Peter says, hey, you know how newborns are born? And that baby, when it comes out, it doesn't not come back to the mother for its milk. It comes right back to the very source of its life to be sustained. Right? I mean, have you ever seen a child root for milk? Yeah, you moms know, it's hilarious. I mean, mean, they're like craving milk. When they're hungry, they know where the source of life is. I mean, that's how we are as Christians. You were brought forth by the word of truth, he said in verse 18. Now he's showing us, hold on, and you continue to crave that. You continue to come to that to sustain your life. You don't move on to something else, new philosophies, new ideologies, new speculation. No, this is a word of God, not just a word about God. This is a word from God. The very source of your life Tony, you, hey, here's how you stay on the path to life. Here's how I saved you. Here's what I did. Here's my nature and character. Here's how you are saved. Here's how you are sustained. James is showing us this is so beautiful that the gospel, the word of truth, we continue to come back to for nourishment and sustainment. We're not born and then wander off. This is why John 15 talks about the word of God comes into your life and it changes you. Um, we, you know, if you hang around certain people long enough, you'll start talking like them, right? Start using their lingo. Um, I can usually know who hung around who just by hearing them talk, right? I mean, this isn't something new. We all understand this. Um, our problem is do we hang out with the Lord? I mean, I mean listen. Um, the more you hang out with him, spend time with him in the Word, the more you'll just become like him. I mean the more your speech will just become like his speech. The more your heart will become like his heart. The more your compassion will become like his compassion. The more like his mercy will come like his mercy. The more his love for holiness will become your love for holiness. And the more you're spending time with him, the more you're leaning into him, the more that you will naturally become these things. See, James is saying the righteousness that God desires is the righteousness that comes from actually being with him. Like you, you, you spend time with them. You sit under the word on Sunday. When we leave, we go to growth groups and study together and, and ask others, how, how do you read it? How do you study it? We have a litany online. If you're looking for how to study the Bible, we have a whole resource on how to read your Bible. Go look at it. Go after it. Ask another saint who you see in this room and say, hey, I noticed that you study your Bible. How do you do that? How, what has helped you learn from others? But, but man, we've got resources for you for this because we believe it is the very thing that sustains us and keeps us. The more we're around his word, the more we become like him, and the less we are, the less we become like him. I've shared this so many times in our house. We, Kristen and I know, when we have not been in the Bible, because we're not like Jesus, to the point where <laughs> she will say, get in your room, close the door, get with Jesus. <laughs> okay, yes, ma'am, and I will go, and I will come out changed, <laughs> And I will come out with a different posture because it's impossible not to because I'm reminded of my depravity. I'm reminded of his grace, reminded of how good he is, how patient he is when I am not patient, how loving he is when I'm so unloving, how consistent he is when I'm so inconsistent, how faithful he is when I'm so unfaithful. Some of you say, well, I just don't have time to be in my Bible, to receive the implanted word. And I say in all love to you, brother and sister, you do not have time not to be. I I don't have another answer. No, you don't have time not to be. And I mean that in the most loving way. Um, and maybe it means you fight to learn and call upon your elders or other saints, like I just said, or go online and look at our resources as to how to read your Bible. Just start somewhere. We don't have time. Man, look at, turn on the news. Look at culture. Your, your work, your job, just listen when you're out. We don't have time. And that's why, man, our prayer as a church is when we gather to hear the word, like right now we lean in. That we'd say, God, help me rid me from distractions because listening to the word is an act of worship. Right? I mean, even right now, I want to hear what God has to say. I got a lot of thoughts about Him. I got a lot of other preconceived notions. I come with anxiety. I come with depression. I come with struggles. I come with fear. I come with, I got to hear what God wants to say. So, man, we're eager to get here on time. We're eager to sing. We're eager to get into the word because we have got to hear what God is going to say. We've got to. So, we see the preaching of God's word as a, as a necessary and thing that we want to be ferociously after just to commit ourselves as best as we're able to get into this word now here's what he says in verse 22 <laughs> uh, listening is not enough uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only otherwise you're just deceiving yourself <laughs> okay so we don't just listen we then do now james had the best example in his older brother jesus right He had Jesus to look at. They would have sat together in the synagogue hearing sermons. James hearing some sermons by Jesus himself, the most perfect sermons you ever heard. He didn't have to get up like me and say, hey, I'm fallible, but this is infallible. Every hermeneutic was perfect. His exegesis was spot on. Every application got right to your heart and destroyed you and then built you up and then they leave and go, okay, how do we walk in that? How do we apply that? How do we do that? How do we see God that way? Can you imagine? Incredible. He probably heard Jesus himself say this in Luke 11. Jesus said, blessed are those who know the word of God and do it. You want to be blessed? Know it, but then do it. This is so important because we live in a world that's filled with words about God. Philosophy, ideology, speculations, the things I just said, and this is a word from God. So James' frustration here is there are a number of people in these churches, apparently in Jerusalem, who he's writing to, and they have a lot of knowledge, but they're not following Jesus. I mean, you read that, read the Gospels. I love it. These religious people, too, who just have a ton of knowledge about God and about the Old Testament, but they don't follow Jesus at all. Their hearts are whitewashed tombs, Jesus calls them, So his frustration is they're not following Jesus. In 1st John, I think it says that men you must walk as Jesus walked. I mean, Jesus fed people, Jesus healed people, Jesus taught people, Jesus prayed for people, Jesus served people, Jesus encouraged people. Jesus did what he studied. He didn't just study, he got out and did it, right? And this is following in the footsteps of Jesus. James is saying there's a difference between us coming in and nodding at a sermon, agreeing with a text or a challenge, and actually leaving and walking in it. Actually embracing it, actually taking that truth and going, man, I'm going to let it bear witness on my heart today. This is Ezekiel who gets up, and he says, the word of God has been spoken. We must do something. James says, the one who merely hears the word and lives a life characteristically against doing what he hears, that person has not been changed by the word of truth you may not be a first fruit. You may not be saved if it's characteristic in your life. I'm not talking about hills and valleys. We're not looking at perfection but progress. But I'm saying if characteristically in your life, you just consistently hear things and there's never any doing, applying obedience, James is saying, you've probably not been changed. He says you deceive yourself. See, deceive yourself is this whole idea of like miscalculation. It's, it's, and this, is the, this is the biggest miscalculation in the church. Uh, we think that we can come in on Sunday mornings and we can hear a sermon and we can just humana, 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 and just, just as we hear this sermon, just humana, hum, I'm being transformed, I'm being changed, I'm being, right, okay, and then all of a sudden, you're gonna walk out different, Right? That, 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 that's not it. James is saying you're deceiving yourself if you think that you just only have to be a hearer. This hummina, hummina, hum So So Monday to the next time you gather on Sunday, there's nothing. You're void. There's nothing characteristic in your life that this word has bared weight at all on your soul, on your decisions, on your thoughts, on your pursuits, on anything. He's going to get even More aggressive in the end, and show even to those who are vulnerable, there is nothing that marks your life. The grace that you've been given is worthless because the grace is doing nothing. Powerful word from James because he loves you and I, because he wants to call us into life. He gives an illustration, verse 23, just look in the mirror. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Listen, in James' day, it's pretty crazy. Um, people were actually pretty unfamiliar with what they looked like. I know you're like, how in the world they survive? We're obsessed with what we look like, right? Look in the mirror thousands of times a week. Um, they actually, this was not for them. Mirrors were not everyday objects like they were here where they're everywhere. Um, And they actually more had metal. They didn't have the purified type of mirror reflection that we have today. Um, So even if you saw your image, it was still a little bit blurry, still a little bit off. And because they couldn't keep this metal, most couldn't keep this metal with them, um, they couldn't come back often enough to remember exactly what they looked like. And the reason is because they weren't seeing it enough. James is saying, some of us are like that. Some of us do that. You gather on Sunday, you hear a sermon, fellowship, pray, maybe take the Lord's Supper, sing songs, and before the service is even over, and some of you, maybe just 30 minutes after you leave, you have totally forgotten what you have heard. And you are on to bigger and better things. And here's what's amazing. That word forget doesn't simply mean not to remember. It actually means to discard. So the idea here, right, from James is you purposely, some of you just generally like, are like, man, my memory is awful. right? I literally, Mike, you talk way too fast. You give 17 points. I can never remember anything you give my sermon. That's okay. That's honest. That's genuine. Okay, let's help you. Let me send you my sermon notes. We've done that. But for others of you, there's an intentional discarding of what you've heard when you leave. You purposely don't give attention to it. And James is saying, if you think you're a first fruit of his creation simply because you come here once a week and discard everything as you leave, you're deceived. You're totally deceived. Church attendance never made anyone righteous. you sitting under the word. Never, never alone transformed anybody. It could transform you and God makes you new, but that transformation continues. It was not this one time profession of faith came down front. That was me 17 times in in high school. I mean, at every youth camp, man, just to make sure. Like, I just, I came down every single time, man. God, I think so, I think so, and I was putting my full weight and worth solely on this decision, solely on this coming forward, and I was never looking at my heart, never examining my life, never looking to see him. I like this person who just looks in the mirror, walks away, just forgets totally what he looks like, and sometimes, absolutely, I would discard a truth because I did not want to submit to the gospel in that area. And then God, over the years, praise God for his patient grace. And I don't have a moment. Some of you do. Praise the Lord. All I know is today where I stand. And that I love him and desire him as imperfect as I am and as many sins that I have and will continue to have, I desire to repent and turn and pursue him with my heart. Just what marks you, friend? It's not a hard question. Which is scary and a bit terrifying for some. It shouldn't take you a long time. Should be able to look, and, and can I just say, my my concern is always I, I don't want to, I never want the person who is just so wanting the Lord, and struggling to be stuffed out. I, I don't want you to be, and I also don't want the person though who thinks that they've got it and they're in their ivory tower and believe because of their scripture memorization they're locked in. I, I, I got to trust the Holy Spirit to help wade through the hearts. But man, I'm so much more compelled about God saying, hey, you gotta deliver the word than who returns back on next Sunday. Because there's more at stake here. Eternal things are at stake here. But then the other person, this is so great, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The perfect law is synonymous with the word of truth here. So he didn't shift and go, hey, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments now. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying here, hey, um, the one who looks at the Ten Commandments and follows this. No, he's still talking about the gospel. He's still talking about the word of truth. He says it's a law of liberty. It sets you free, right? The dog doesn't return to his own vomit, man. When you've been set free by the glorious grace of God, when you realize your sin, realize the character and nature of God, realize the exchange that happened in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are set free free, and you know you're free, it's a law of liberty. You know you're not walking back to enslavement. It creates joy and leads you on a pathway to wanting more of it. It's insatiating. That's why the more you're in this, the more you look at this law, the more it actually conforms your desires to his, the more you actually desire it. Your desires actually begin to change over time. Powerful. So he says here, the one who continues to do that, you keep looking at it, it transforms you. If you spend time looking at the law of God over and over, the gospel over and over, you keep going back to what he's done for you in this glorious exchange. Every time you feel condemnation, shame, guilt, you say, no, 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 no condemnation in Christ. Christ is for me, he never loses who he saves. I'm secure, I'm safe. And you persevere in that, you're steadfast in that. In order for me to love my wife, I have to be with my wife. In order for me to love my friends, I have to be with my friends. He says this is something you keep doing. And he says, I love that. He will be blessed in what he does. You will be the most productive. Your life will be the best it can be. I didn't say easiest. But it will absolutely be the best life. That's James' full conviction. Christian life is the best life, not the easiest life but it's the best life. Okay, so imagine if this week you took 2 Corinthians ten five right? Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Romans 13, 14, right? Make no provision for your flesh so I will not gratify its sinful desires, but put on the mind of Christ. Okay, if we obeyed those commands every single moment of every day, you never sin. Well, we can't because we're not fully perfect. But striving and thinking, what if in that moment you're going, okay, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Okay, and you're in those moments. Talked about last week in temptation. You're going, right now I could, I could choose life. That's me on the beach. Right? If you were there, running. Okay, so in that moment, I could choose life. I could choose safety. I could choose joy. I, could, I have to trust this. I didn't want to talk over God. I want to be quick to listen. I want to hear what he's saying. Man, in that moment, you have a verse. You have a promise from God that you are choosing to bank the next 15 seconds on, and you choose that. Just imagine your life, the righteousness that God would begin to produce, the joy you would have in following him, your conscience being clean. See, see here's the thing, man. If this whole thing's a sham, I'm just going to be flat out honest. If this whole thing's a sham, I'll still take the Christian life because it's a better life. And it's not a sham, but even if it was a sham, this thing leads to life every single time. Less heartache, less discouragement, brokenness, fracture. Listen, if you actually believe your sin is winning out for you, actually leading to life, you're totally deceived. Look around you. Look at the pieces. Oh, this is is really somehow, no, you're deceived. And maybe God in his mercy lets you go for a season. Or maybe, God forbid, all the way to the end where you realize it was not worth it at all. Man, every time I choose, I've never met a single Christian that has chosen Jesus Christ, chosen the pathway to life in moments of temptation and said, man, I wish I'd done that less. I I just feel really awful. No. The joy that he produces, the the freedom. I love that. Now verse 26, look at what he says. He's going to end with a strong word. So... After hearing all that, if anyone thinks he's religious, now that doesn't mean what we think, right? We got a bad connotation of religious today. This just means genuine faith when James says it. He's not talking about dead orthodoxy, a dead heart. He's talking about genuine faith. If you have genuine faith, if you genuinely believe in this God who saved you, this Father of lights who's good and generous and kind and gracious, if this is you and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Genuine faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, this Father of lights, this good dad, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. James closes the loop going, Many of you who have been Christians for a while, been under biblical teaching, listened to podcasts, read a few books, joined growth groups, community groups, Bible studies, you are vulnerable to the trap of false faith. you're vulnerable. Those of you who have built up your life just by attending things and doing these religious things alone, thinking that those make you right before God. You're vulnerable to the trap of false faith. And he contrasts it. He basically says what false faith is and what true faith is. True faith is helpful. True faith is holy. True faith, you keep a rein on your tongue. You don't tear down, you build up. You don't speak in self-righteousness, you build up in humility. Proverbs says life and death are in the power of the tongue. So the more you're with God, there should be evidenced in your speech. Not cussing doesn't save you. It just shows you that you're a first fruit. But not even that. I just mean just the posture. True faith allows us to speak from the father of lights, not the father of lies, the devil. And James says, and he hits it home, when grace hits your heart, it brings help to others. We experience the goodness of the Father of Lights who makes us his own kids. And we did not deserve them. We were estranged. We were lonely. We were vulnerable. He says your private faith has to go public. It has to. This is hard for some of us. Especially Bergen County area, New York City area. We love being in our big houses, long driveways, tall fences. Do not look over, do not talk to others. Let's stay private and turn on our 60-inch TV and zone out, right? He says, no, 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 this father of lights, if he's that good, if he's really transformed you, if you have true, genuine faith in James society, this is what it meant. It was agrarian, a lot of farm work, and women were most vulnerable because what would happen is the man was out most of the day doing the hard labor. And if he passed, if he was gone, they were very vulnerable. There wasn't like a welfare system like there is today. Uh, they couldn't just drop their kids off at daycare and just grab a job. Like, that's not them. Um, they were very vulnerable because deplorable men would come along and prey on them. I can give you finances, prostitution, sex slavery, wicked stuff. Just read about it in James' history. And he's saying here, true faith is having the Father's heart. It says true, undefiled religion is from God the Father. We love God's family. We love God's creation. See, a, a simply a moral person with no genuine faith, someone who their whole life believes God will honor him be, only because he's kept rules, will constantly have disdain for the outcast. Because they'll say, Man, I spent my whole life building it up to be where I am, so everyone else should. That's a self-righteous heart. That's pride. That's one of the worst sins. So he's he's given us a hard word here. Yet, Christian, the Christian will realize, man, I am I am where I am by the sheer grace of God. Here's the truth: Grace, evidence of grace has penetrated your heart is that you bend outward to those who really need grace, really need attention, the most the vulnerable, the outcast, those on the fray. And listen, if your grace does not cause you to do that or care about that, he says it's worthless grace. How could you possibly receive the grace you've received in the gospel as an estranged orphan having no sense of purpose, no knowing where he was going, destined for destruction, destined for despair, not wanting God, not loving him, not looking for him, being totally vulnerable to the snares of the world and the enemy, and he says, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to take you in. I'm going to rescue you through the work of my son. Man, this is profound. says, do you care for the vulnerable? A measure of your depth and understanding the doctrine of God's grace is the demonstration of your heart towards your neighbor and especially the vulnerable. This was very challenging for me. Do I believe about all that has actually happened to me? And how does that manifest itself? That's what James is saying. James says those who are saved, they see the world differently. They're not self-centered. They're not hoarders. They're other-centered. They're looking to be generous like their good father. Or to be like James' older brother Jesus who did this. Um, On our street, we have uh, three widows. One's a widower. And we are always trying to think, how can we help and assist and engage uh, one is the widower right across Jack. He's in his 90s, lost his wife, I think, 15, 20 years ago. And we just started bringing him meals. And we always take Jackson. And those, some humorous moments. What, why are we go, always going to feed Jack? He has a house. He has a kitchen, probably. I know. I know, buddy. But, but we're going to feed him. We're going to care for him in his affliction because God the Father has cared for us in our greatest affliction, Jackson. He's a really good father, and he gives and he feeds us. And so we want to be extensions of that, right? So we go up, and the first time we knocked on Jack's door, super awkward, and he heard through the grapevine, "I'm a pastor. I love it. Our whole street. it was oh, pastor's moving in, 225. 225. Yeah, that white ranch, that's the pastor. He's religious, really spiritual, right. Like, <laughs> there are so many times in my life I don't want to be labeled as a pa- I hate that label when I'm out because it's like fences are up. So we go to the door and we knock and it's kind of like this mm-hmm, you're bringing me food. But Jack, uh, here's me. And we continue to do it to where second or third time he stopped and said, can I just ask you guys why do you do this? And I said, Jack, because our family really loves Jesus Christ and we just believe that this is a way that he has cared for us. So we want you to see his care for us in the way that we care for you. And he goes, the Jesus of the Bible? I said, yes. And he didn't say anything and shut the door. So I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> what, what that did. But we continued to go. We shovel his driveway when we had the snowstorm. We just try to assist and help. Uh, Regina, across the other way, has a teenage son. And I see him sitting outside, just walk across when he's out there, and just sit down next to him, just start asking him about his life and His uh, mom just got remarried. How is that? Uh, Seems lonely. Just, man, are you you just aware? Are you just aware? Or are you so self-absorbed, friend? Are you so self-centered that you can't even see those around you? Maybe even in this room, there are people in need, vulnerable. You just walk by them on Sunday. I'm not saying it's always done intentionally. I'm just saying he's saying the father heart of God bears itself in the father heart of his children. I, this is what um, Russell Moore said. And, and tomorrow happens to be Sanctity of Life uh, Monday. And I'm not saying this because of that, but I thought what he wrote was really, really good. And I thought it was a hard word for us. Russell Moore said this. Um, and he's using words to try to catch your attention. He said, I, I hate Sanctity of Life, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I'm reminded that we have to say things to one another that should never have to be said. Mothers shouldn't have to kill their children. Fathers shouldn't have to abandon their babies. No human life is worthless regardless of skin color, age, disability, economic status. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of our present darkness. I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I'm reminded that there are children, maybe even blocks from my pulpit, who will be slapped, punched, and burned with cigarettes before nightfall. I'm reminded that there are elderly men and women languishing away in loneliness, their lives pronounced to be a waste. But I also love Sanctity of Human Life Sunday when I think about the fact that I have a congregation with ex-orphans all around me adopted into God's family. That's us. I love to reflect on the men and women who serve every week In pregnancy centers for women in crisis. I love men and women who I hear about who have aborted babies but found their sins forgiven and their conscience cleansed by Jesus. We'll always need Christmas morning. We'll always need Easter morning. But I hope, please, Lord, someday soon, sanctity of human life day is unnecessary. The Lord needs to help us there, right? And I'm gonna circle back to that in one minute and just end with that last part, keep oneself unstained from the world. You'll see that language throughout scriptures. We're sojourners, right? We're foreigners. We're citizens of another, another kingdom, right? And this idea is as, we, as we're passing through to heaven, right? we remain unstained. We remain unmarked. We remain clean. Now, how many of you guys read that and find that incredibly discouraging? Me, okay? Like, I'm gonna pass through this whole life Remaining unstained? Now, if you're religious, you know, you know, you read that and go, yeah, I'm doing a pretty good job. Look at those dirty sinners. That's an arrogant place to be. Uh, others of us, we're just honest. Man, that's crazy. I can't do that. I know my sins. I know I'm stained. I know I can't pass through this life without letting it just get on me and the temptations and everything else. You're well aware of that. So listen, religion will always say, and this is where James is pushing your heart, religion will always say, clean yourself, get your stains out, put it in the laundry. Jesus comes along and says, man, would you just wear my clothes? Man, he lived an unstained life. And would you let me remove those stains and give you a stain-free life? to remain unstained as you walk in love, as the grace penetrates your heart and allows you to look to the vulnerable and the needy? Would you live a life that's so centered on Jesus Christ, that is so transformed by Jesus Christ, that we would be just like him? See, in Revelation at the end, you know what all the saints are wearing? White. We're all wearing white. That's happened for us now, and it'll fully happen in glory. So even as we walk and are stained by sin, we continue to lean into the very thing that gave us birth and keeps us stained free. Not your merits, not your performance, not your obedience, but Jesus alone, and that compels you to live this life of glad, joyful obedience, to live stained free. And when we sin, he cleans us up. But you can live an unstained life in the world because Christ has already made you clean. So you can. You can do that. You can go after that. Has Jesus made you unstained? Has his stainless life done that for you? That's the great exchange you've been hearing in this gospel, the word of truth. That's what happened in verse 18. Here's my last just charge to you and encouragement. Um, Maybe some of you, because of the unstaining work of Jesus Christ, will start ministering in foster homes. I love seeing my mother-in-law. She, there's this precious girl that she every Sunday she takes her, this foster child, and cares for her and spends the day with her. We had her over for Easter this year. We, it's just beautiful. Uh, maybe some of you will adopt children in the future. Um, maybe some of you will bend outward to the love and, 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 and the vulnerable and loving ways. Um, maybe some of you, there just needs to be repentance this morning. Just saying, Lord, I'm just so self-absorbed. I'm so self-centered. This grace does not do that. I love this grace because I think I deserve it, to be honest. And maybe he just needs to take you out of your ivory tower and bring you down to a place where he just reveals and exposes, no, actually, um, your life does not model me at all. And then lean into him again. Come back like babies come back to their mother for that milk Let's ask him for help in this. Father, we need help from you. Thank you for a strong, loving word from James. Thank you that he calls us into deeper joys. Thank you that to be unmoved by you should be cause for concern so that we would be moved to you. God, right now over this place, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict the very hearts that it needs to, that you would give life and salvation to those who maybe for their whole life have thought they knew you and have not and been deceived. God, I pray for those who have been relying on works and merits and prayers and petitions to gift them righteousness, that they would see that that will never be enough to be unstained. But they need the stainless Son of God, who came and lived a stainless life for them. That they would put on Jesus Christ. They'd repent of their sin and walk in rightness with you. Father, I pray for those who are loving others and bending outward, that you would continue to fan and to flame their ministry, and that they would never, ever grow in arrogance by what they are doing. But see it solely as natural evidence of who they already are. God, would you help us as a church to be people that in our neighborhoods and spheres of influence might look for those and be aware of others that we might extend the father heart of God so that we might see more welcomed in the kingdom of God. Help us in our pride. Help us in our sin. Help us as we even examine ourselves before the Lord's Supper to do it with a heart that's contrite and humble. In Jesus' name, amen.